Hello and welcome to episode 50 of the Make Ideas Reality podcast. Yes, 50 people. I'm Justin, aka The Garage Avenger. Today we're going to be talking about self-doubt. Now, self-doubt occurs when we have a lack of confidence or feel incapable of doing things we need to do. People who doubt themselves experience uncertainty around things they can't control or worry about things not going according to plan. A certain level of self-doubt is good. It indicates that you have an understanding of what you need to improve in order to do a better job. However, persistent fear and self-doubt can hugely affect your life. Today, I'm talking with a little unknown maker slash YouTuber called Bob Claggett. We are delving into his experience with self-doubt and how he really only began to encounter self-doubt later in life. We're going to touch on his upbringing and the factors that can contribute to self-doubt later in life, such as past mistakes, comparison, feeling out of your comfort zone, or fear of failure or fear of success. I hope you're going to enjoy this one, guys. It was an absolute pleasure talking with Bob, and I know you're going to get something from this. So let's get on with it. Let's do this. Today's guest needs no introduction. He's been making stuff without instruction. Encouragement from his father and granddad gave him no limitations as a young lad. Now he makes stuff for a day job. It just so happens his name is Bob. Welcome to the show, Bob Claggett from I Like To Make Stuff. Thanks, that was fantastic. They're so corny. I like. There's a reason why I write cringeworthy on the on the format. <laughs> that was good. So today I brought uh, Bob on the show because um, we're going to be talking about self doubt, and um, that's something that I think all of us, you know, suffer from. I think we're also fooling ourselves if we think we don't experience self doubt in some way or another. And it's often that little voice in your head that stops you from trying something new or different. And self-doubt may have originated in your childhood as a result of like the way you were up, you're brought up. Uh, but it can also be an issue as like in, the, in your adulthood as well. And it can be a response to a crisis or a stressor like divorce or job loss or even just a change in lifestyle, which holds quite a lot of inherent risk. Uh, and you often hear about like entrepreneurs uh, that are not really entrepreneurs, if you know what I mean. They they can't they deal with self doubt quite a lot. So I'm going to be asking Bob uh, some hard questions about the, his experience with self doubt and uh, when and where he's experienced them and how he works through it. So, um, but before we go into that, I thought we'd give Bob a little chance to tell my mum who he is. Uh, as she's probably the only one that uh, is listening and doesn't know who you are. So take, <laughs> so take it away, Bob. Uh, give us your little elevator pitch. All right. Uh, I'm Bob Claggett. I run I Like to Make Stuff, which was a YouTube channel that I started about seven years ago. And now it's a company of, uh, we have four full-time and then my wife works part-time. And we make content and... Um, tools to try to encourage people to make the stuff that they want to have. So, you know, it's, it's a combination of videos and podcasts and digital tools and digital plans and things like that. We just want to try to provide um, people with everything they need so we can cut down the barriers to them actually making something in the real world that's in their brain. That's my yeah. pitch. <laughs> there you go, mom. You heard it. From the man himself. <laughs> this is the guy I've been talking about. You know, so. <laughs> so, um, I mean, I think it's like that's part of the reason why we're we're going to be talking about this topic today of self doubt is because Bob, you've built something that most of us sort of like are all aspiring to achieve. You know, making stuff for a living and sharing it with a lot of people. Um, You've got a big team behind you for, you know, in the, at least in the maker world, you've got a big team behind you um, and helping you do everything from video production to, you know, 
yeah, everything else, I imagine that you're a yeah. little team there. So, um, you know, this is really uh, something that I wanted to sort of talk about because when you're building such a big thing, there has to be a lot of moving parts and you've got to probably work through a lot of your own barriers to get to where you guys are and which is actually remarkable i think to be honest in the time that you have been doing this i think was it 2015 you went full-time um that sounds right i don't know exactly but yeah 15 16 somewhere in there yeah so i mean realistically i'm 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 actually kind of dumbfounded you got four stuff it's uh, (laughs) it's uh, it's crazy i love it though i think it's great so um one of the major causes of self-doubt uh, usually, like I mentioned in before, was your upbringing, and I wanted to start there with you, Bob. Uh, what was your upbringing like? Well, I was surrounded by um, people who kind of created their own business. Uh, my my dad is a dentist. His dad is also a dentist, and his brother. So they had a practice together. <laughs> um, my great grandfather on that side of the family owned his own restaurant. Uh, before that, I don't know. (laughs) And then on the other side of the family, my grandfather there, uh, was a contractor. So he had his own, he worked for other people, but he had his own contracting business and he built things. And so all of the examples of, um, people, well, and my mom is a, a therapist and she started her own practice as well. So all the examples above me generationally were people who had a thing they wanted to do and they just took it on and they created their own business. And I never really thought about that until years later, but looking back at it, you know, they were kind of self-starters. They didn't rely on uh, somebody else to provide them an opportunity to have a career. They just kind of like did the thing that they wanted to do. Yeah. And I think that modeled for me just a, an idea of, well, if I have an idea, there's no reason I can't at least give it a shot. It doesn't mean that everything I do is going to you know, work out or anything like that. I don't expect that, but I'm not, a, I've never been afraid to just jump into something, you know, kind of face first and see how it turns out. And I think that was modeled from how I was brought up and what I saw above me, but also just their response to me. Um, I never remember a time where I said, here's an idea for, you know, something I wanted to make or something I wanted to do. I never remember a time when they were like, nah, I don't think you could do that. There was a lot of, that may not be the best idea. Maybe you should tweak it so you don't die or you don't hurt somebody (laughs) or you don't this or that, you know, but it was never a, you're not capable. It was always, uh, I think for my best interest to make things as close to uh, being able to succeed as possible. And um my dad has always said like that when people ask about what I do or things I've done growing up, he always said that like Bob didn't realize he couldn't do something. So he just did it Yeah, because I was never confronted with that, that thing of, you know, like, I don't know if I can or not. It was just like, it's almost like I didn't know better. <laughs> I didn't know that I should be scared of things growing up. Now that has changed a lot as I've matured and as I've gotten older, but as a child, as a teenager, I just was never really faced with that. And I know that's kind of abnormal. I think most people are faced with the opposite where they're told they can't yeah. their entire life in, in one way or another. And seeing that, but not feeling that growing up absolutely is a big part of the core of I like to make stuff, why it exists, what our purpose is. It's to take what I was given and try to give it to the other people who were given something different there. I had just one quick question before we go much further. What were the projects you had to tweak so you didn't kill yourself? <laughs> uh, it was a lot of skateboard ramps and um, bows and arrows and things like that. Yeah, things that that had a deadly end. <laughs> you know. Well, what yeah. kid doesn't make weapons in there? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I, I I find it really interesting because your whole family was. Uh, so we say entrepreneurial and I guess you are too because you've earned, not only started I like to make stuff and turned that into a like a proper business this isn't just like a hobby YouTube show like you know what I mean um, and, you know of course you had your um, software development company as well before that um, yeah 
And so it, it seems to have always been in the blood of the family to be able to take those risks. Can you remember any times where you felt like you learned something valuable from one of your family members on like something they were taking risks for? I don't know. I, I think, I think growing up, I never saw what they were doing uh, with their own businesses as risks. Mm. And I think that might've been one of the big things is it didn't look like this scary. I'm going to quit my job to go be a fill in the blank. It was more, this is what I want to do. So I'm just going to do it. And and so I don't think I was ever really confronted with the downside. I mean, I guess they were risks, but I wasn't confronted with the downside of those risks. So it didn't seem risky. You know what I mean? Oh, that's super um, interesting. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think I was ever really, I didn't look at it that way. Well, you know, like one thing we've discussed on this podcast a lot is the mindset, like getting over that mindset. And for me, like if you're not seeing any downside to taking those risks or not even seeing them as risks, like put you in the right mindset to actually create something like you have. I mean, yeah, I, I think when it came time to do, I like to make stuff and making that switch where I was leaving something comfortable and going to this new thing, obviously risk was involved there and I could see it more clearly, mm. but uh, I didn't see that in my family members who had done other things, you know, had started their own businesses. So. Yeah. Uh, I think problem solving too is something that a lot of entrepreneurs do. And it seems very clear that you're a problem solver being that you're a maker and a creative. Yeah. yeah. So what was, did you learn some of your problem solving skills from any particular family members growing up? Can you like, for I example, was, making things like physically making things? I think a lot of that, um, it, it comes from all the same people. Like my, my dad and my grandfather both had wood shops and I didn't actually do a lot in those shops. I didn't build a lot of stuff growing up, but I watched them and <clears throat> there was a really strong feeling of, you know, like, well, we can just, we can just make the thing. We can just fix it with a part that we have downstairs, whatever the case may be, you know, fixing mm. furniture or whatever. And so it wasn't like, you know, if something broke in the house or we needed a new thing, it wasn't like, well, you know, I guess we just have to go without or we'll have to call somebody for this thing. It was like, all right, well, what do we have on hand that can fix the thing? And it, it's again, one of those things that I didn't really notice at the time because that's just the way it was. That's just yeah. the way my dad was that way. Uh, my brother's that way. My grandfather was that way. I go to my other grandfather's house. He was that way. You know, it was just kind of the way it was. Um, and we were a big, uh, like big Lego family. And I know that's cliche. Everybody talks about like when they were, if they're a maker, they started out building Lego or building something like that. And I honestly think that's a big part of it because when I, when I played with Lego as a kid, it was to play with Lego, but it was also to supplement the other stuff that I played with. And so I didn't think about it being problem solving at the time, but it was a way to solve a problem within the play, which I think is like hugely important. Oh yeah. Um, you know, if I didn't have the star Wars ship that I wanted, I would make a ship out of Lego and it would fill that void. It would solve that problem temporarily. Mm. And so it was a lot of that type of stuff. And I, I wasn't, I don't want to say I was born with that. I was given that by my family. I was given the example to do that and the, the tool set, both like, mentally and physically the tool set to do that by my family. So I think the, the problem solving thing has just been, I don't know, it's like a part of us, <laughs> which is cool. I think it's a part of most people. It just gets nurtured sometimes. Yeah. I, I love the Lego because the Lego, you know, like you said, everyone that seems to be a maker has play, played with Lego at some point, but I, I think it probably has to be one of the best toy inventions ever because, oh yeah, because what, what did I able to do? Like, oh, we used to have a wine barrel in my house and it was, and you have like a big blanket, you know? And so you'd just pull the blanket out and then just lay it out on the floor. Now yeah. we weren't, we weren't rich enough to have like bought, bought Lego, you know, kits and build them. Right. So we just got hand-me-down Lego from people all the time. 
And then we would just lay this big blanket out there. And then, you know, like you said, you like, I would make a spaceship or I had an idea to make some crazy car with the gun on the top or something like that. You just start mixing and matching ideas. And I think that's really what gets the creative flow going, right? It's, um, I, I think that's where I got it from, at least in the beginning, for sure. And I think one of the cool things that is it's easy to forget about Lego is that you you if you have if you dump out a box of them in front of you it seems endless it seems like i can make anything out of these pieces but the fact of the matter is there's a fixed number of pieces with a fixed functionality per piece mm. and whether you realize it or not you are limited to what you can do or how you use those pieces that's right yeah. and so it's not just an endless building it's like here's the thing i want here are the pieces i have how do i turn them into what i want and that counts for a lot more than people realize i think yeah, well, it's the same with like limitations. So like, for example, I, with my work, often like to put limitations in my work. That way I can problem solve around it. And I may end up coming up with something completely unique because I put those limitations right. you know, on my project, right? Yeah. Hmm. Um, being that you weren't really a, you know, self-doubting child you know and you did mention later on in life you you started experience some some self-doubt or at least doubts in maybe the things you were trying to achieve where do you think it all started um later on in life where you started to feel uh, maybe the pressure and uh, and experience some of those self-doubt feelings I mean, I don't know exactly where that starts. I think, you know, in your teenage years, you start to do the comparison thing a lot where you, <clears throat> even if you see that you're good at things, you still compare yourself to, to other people who are good at different things. Mm. And I think we all tend to fixate on the stuff that we're bad at instead of the stuff that we're good at. And so for a long time growing up, I would focus on the fact that I could play piano better than most of my friends and I could play you know, I don't know, whatever. I, the things that I could do well, I would focus on, well, I can do that well. That's cool. And then you get into your teenage years and you start going, oh, but I can't play football. I can't play basketball. I can't do this and I can't do that. And I can't, I can't, I can't. And mm -hmm. you focus on all those, those things instead of the stuff that you're talented at or you're gifted with or whatever. And um, so I think that's where that starts. And then that just carries over for the rest of your life. You just, once you get in the habit of comparing then you end up continuing that. And it's so easy to downplay your own skill and your own advantages uh, just in light of what other people can do that you can't or people, what people have that you don't. It's, it's so easy to just like forget about, you know, your strengths and just focus on your weaknesses. And that's a cycle that everybody can get into. And oftentimes will just continue out throughout life. And it's, it's a bummer, but, uh, I think that's where it started for me. It was probably high school starting to make that comparison. Do you find you're comparing yourself still, you know, to some things or other at this age now that you're at? Oh yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think it's unavoidable to compare yourself to people. I think deciding like most things, deciding what you're going to do with it once you have that in your head mm. is the big thing, right? You can compare yourself uh, to somebody whether it's social media or somebody right next to you, you can compare yourself and say like, well, either I'm going to change my focus and change where I put my energy to try to be that thing or have that thing or beat that thing. Or I'm just going to recognize that that's not me. That's not my strength. I still can't play basketball. <laughs> I still can't <laughs> play baseball, but I can do a lot of other things. And I'm also at a point now where I realize that, you know, like we're, we're made to be different stuff. Right. And like, I've got my gifts other people have their gifts. And instead of saying like, those are the things that keep us apart. And those are the things that make us like at odds or intention. We can say like, those are the things that make us compatible. The things that can make us work as a team. Like when I look at the guys that I work with, like we're all good at different stuff. Mm. And I like to make stuff works because we're all good at different stuff and we, we can do this and we can work together. So I really do think it's what you decide to do with those you know, those comparisons. And obviously I don't think comparison is a good thing, but I think it's a natural thing that yeah. everybody's going to deal with, you know? Well, it's a little bit like the, you know, for example, football team, you know, everyone 
you have different positions for a reason because they have different jobs, right? right? So, yeah. you know, you, you can't have everyone in your team, for example, just being another Bob Claggett. Like, <laughs> that doesn't right. work. So, um, you know, and for me, like comparison, I, I often compare myself in the maker world, at least, uh, to those without kids. Uh, and I get a little, sometimes I end up getting a little bit like cheesed off, like, <laughs> look at them just, you know, making all the stuff. They don't even, they don't have kids. They don't have this. They right. don't, like, they don't, they don't produce a podcast that, you know, like all this sort of stuff. And it's like, it's an unhealthy way to look at it. But, you know, at least I'm, <laughs> I have to say, at least I'm aware of it and I can work through that. But, yeah, you know, I still catch myself like do, saying little things like that. Oh, yeah, I bet you they don't have kids or something like that. It's yeah. super easy to do that. I mean, I find myself in the same place, but you have to remember it's it's easy to forget hmm. that you are always in the middle of some comparison. Like compared to somebody else, you have so much more to do. You have so much more to care for. And then compared to a different person, man, you got it so easy. <laughs> like I have four kids. And so I can look at you and be like, oh, he's only got two kids. What's the big I'm, deal? Exactly I look at somebody right. else like Tim Schmoyer, who does YouTube stuff. He has yeah. like eight kids. Holy crap. It's way more done than I do. So it's not, you know, it's easy to be on either side of that thing, but everybody's in the middle. Right. Right. In that comparison thing. Yeah. hundred percent, man. I think that's so easy, to, isn't it? You're right. Like yeah. you can put yourself in the middle very quickly if you just look at it the right way yeah yeah um what about experience like past mistakes and and experience from the past has that influenced anything like have you had any big screw-ups or maybe you know taking a risk that nearly ended up in failure or something along those lines um i don't think i've had anything that's been maybe that dramatic but i have had so the web design and kind of app, app development business that I had years ago, it was with a business partner and um, we started it right out of college and he was the kind of business person and did all the sales and all that type of stuff. And I was very, there was a, a very thick line in between our job descriptions. Yeah. He did all of that. And then I did all of this other, you know, the development and the kind of leading the team and stuff like that. And it got, several years into it. And I realized that we were just both manning like two different ships, not even the same ship. And it, it got bad because we, we were not accountable to each other because we didn't have an overlap at all. Mm. And so I think, you know, it was handy at the time to not have to be responsible for all the different things, but I, I got kind of lost in what was happening on the business side and on the sales side of things. And, you know, that, that had its own uh, repercussions on that business and on our friendship and things like that. So that definitely set me down the path of being more aware and more responsible for all the parts of the business. Not that I have to do everything myself, but to be engaged in and fully aware of all the different things that are happening so that I can make good, broad decisions, you know, mm. um, because I'm responsible for people. And that was one of the scary things about that business was, you know, we had like 15 employees and to have that much responsibility, but not necessarily know all the stuff about how money was coming in and going out and decisions being made on the business side. Like that's, it's a stress, but you don't have the information to be able to handle that stress fully. Mm. And that was just a, it was poor planning on my part, you know, not knowing what I was doing, not going into it with like any experience, just, I didn't plan to be as involved as I should have been. So that was a big one. And I, I think like with more current things, um, when we first moved here, I lived in Georgia for a while and then we moved here. When we first moved here, we did a couple of projects that I think the projects themselves were fine. And I think the outcome of them was good, but the process to get there I could have done a fair amount more research. And what I found was that the feedback was so, uh, I'm trying to be general, but get the idea across. The feedback was so aggressively hostile <laughs> yeah. that, it, that it, 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 was, it was past the point of like mean comment, I don't like the paint color you chose, kind of that stuff. Yeah. It was, there was a different level of aggression. And um, 
some of those things for a while made me just really want to just like this, this kind of sucks. Like, I don't want to do this anymore if I'm going to be feeling that type of thing. And so my initial reaction was like, I don't really want this uh, feedback. And then the second part was, well, if I'm going to continue to do this and take that feedback, how can I safeguard all my choices? So then you start to swing the other direction of like, well, I'm just going to do the the safest possible thing so that I don't like, uh, you know, I don't show somebody doing the wrong technique or the wrong material or, you know, you just swing to the, like the safe end of the thing. Mm. And then there's this path where you swing back to the middle and you realize that you have to take everything with a grain of salt. You have to look at um, everybody's experience. You have to compare both like the reality of worst case scenario to the reality of reality. <laughs> Cause th- that's a big part of it. Like right. people will come on comments and be like, well, if you do this and these criteria are met, your house is going to explode or some terrible worst case scenario. That is a potential reality, but it's not reality. And so I think, you know, there were some things where I had to swing really far in one direction and then swing back to find a middle ground to where I'm balancing this like fear of doing the wrong thing uh, while still doing what I want to do and making sure that, you know, there's somewhere in the middle. It's, it's trustworthy information. It's safe. It's good, but it's not just the lowest common denominator of what will make everybody happy. I don't know if that's too general, but (laughs) the the specifics might be hard to explain. So, (laughs) well, I I I mean that made it's very clear that that experience made you change, like the the way you were driving before. Like yeah, so uh, and and I think those like the the audience pressure is you know a factor always when you when you're like making stuff and putting it out in the world like you will get people that are hacking into you about, you know, things, um, you know, your, for example, we talked about your, your welding a little bit in the pre podcast and how that's a bit of a, shall we say, uh, you get out of your comfort zone when you have to show people your welding skills. Yeah. Uh, You know, and I think that's an interesting side of like, self-doubt as well like getting yourself yourself out of your comfort zone uh and pushing past that like there's a reason why you don't want to show people so much of your welding skills because you're on this big platform and you have a lot of eyes on it and then if if so for example you're doing a so shall we say structural weld and you don't do it correctly you're going to get annihilated on the comments yeah. Uh, I mean, I can definitely feel the pressure already just like thinking about it. <laughs> so, uh, for, for me though, I would say like my, my getting out of my comfort zone is like socializing here in Norway. Cause mm-hmm. like I, you know, I'm Australian and I'm living in Norway of all places and the culture is completely different. Like socialization is completely different here. Like the the social protocols I grew up with do not work here, so I huh. I have like I have this like self doubt about going in to talk to people because I always have to think about like am I being too Australian here, <laughs> you know like yeah. am I making everyone feel super uncomfortable because that's that's how they are here they're very like reserved they don't socialize on the same level so you know for me that's like that's a big part of my um you know comfort zone where i often will like just say oh well i'll just you know not go to that party that with my son you know because i'll just stay in the workshop you know and you know tell my wife can you take him you know um so i think for me that's often what happens so I'm working on that for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I found that, you know, when it comes to the self-doubt about projects, like the welding thing specifically, mm. it's it's not about my doubt in my ability. It's my it's it's a doubt in my defenses. So like hmm. like with the welding stuff, I guarantee you that I can weld something that will do its job 
And if it doesn't do its job, if it breaks or if it snaps under pressure or whatever, then I'll weld it again. Like I, whatever, that doesn't matter. Mm. The, the self-doubt there is about my, the strength of my self-defense when it comes to hearing all this, this flood of negative feedback. Right. Now, I, I got to be clear though, that like somebody telling you, you have a bad weld is not negative feedback. It, no. If it's a bad weld, it's a bad weld, right? Right. It's, it, it's the the aggressive, like, you are going to hurt somebody. Yeah. You are giving information that will cause someone else to do something wrong and mess them up or something. So, yeah. like, those are the things that start to get through my defenses. And I'm like, oh, man, like, what if, what if somebody does get hurt because they're just doing something that I did and it worked for me and it's not going to work for them? And that worries me. You know, that's like a legitimate fear. And I don't want to be responsible for that, um, for somebody else's safety or well-being. Hmm. And so I think the reservation there is, is more about, I don't want to say liability from like, a, I'm going to get sued perspective, but liability in that I may cause somebody else to get hurt. And so I've, I've been a lot more careful there. Now, part of that also just goes into, well, if we don't show the welds up close, then we don't have to worry about it because it just becomes a thing that's like, it's like a non-issue, right? It's like right, yeah. all welding looks the same at five feet away. Yeah. And they get the idea that it's welded. So let's just do that because it's easier and I don't have to worry about the liability and I don't have to worry about people being mean and I don't have to, you know, it's just like, and that that's kind of lame, but it's also the reality of we do this every week. And when we put out a thing every week, that is, it, it's always asking for this response from people, uh, whether we actually, ask for it or just, you know, we put something out, it's asking for response. Yep. And so when that response is X percent negative weekly, it's tiring, it's exhausting, it's, you know, it drains your motivation. And so any little thing that we can do, like only showing welding from five feet away, that cuts down on some of that percentage of negative response every week, it's like, well, I guess we'll just do that because it's going to make life a little bit easier, you know, that much easier every single week. But I think that's a good solution because that that's like an intermediate solution because the the other solution would be not to do welding, right? For example, right? right? Yeah. And I think that's a really good solution because it's like halfway, at least. So like you, you're still showing people that you're doing the work, but you know maybe you know if you're worried about the barrage of comments, you know you may not get as bigger barrage comments because you didn't show the up close weld, for example. Uh, I think it's good, good, good technique. I'll have to sneak that one. I think when I, you know, of course, when I get <laughs> massive on YouTube, because you know, my whole seven followers or something I got. <laughs> well, but I don't think it actually has anything to do with that, with like the numbers. It's easy to imagine that things will get worse, you know, or, or like the, the amount of negative comments will get worse as you have a bigger following or that it would be easier if you had a smaller following. I don't think that's really the case. It's all, it's all a percentage and it comes down to like, some people legitimately creators like don't care. Like every single comment could be negative and aggressive and they just be like, whatever, that's not me. And like, I would love to act like a tough guy and be like, those comments don't matter to me, but they do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like there's a, and I know they're not all legitimate. I understand that like people are sometimes just mean. Sometimes people are in bad moods or whatever, but there's, there's a person behind that comment. And I would much rather for myself, be someone who cares about the fact that there's a per person behind each comment than someone who doesn't care and doesn't look at those comments as coming from an individual. You know, it's more important to me to, to keep that association uh, than just to be hard hearted and, and tough for my own sanity and just be like, eh, you know, whatever comments are comments and I'm just not going to care about them because I do care about them. Yeah. I have to get a comment more than just my mother's little, like lip on my so like then then I maybe got an experience with mom's that. always nice <laughs> <laughs> but you know I think um you know I think for example the 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 fear of failure can also be a, a, a self-doubt sort of um trigger you know your or a fear of success as well I mean like not being able to top a previous success like that that pressure of uh not have, have you had any projects where you felt like 
oh, this is like, this was really great. And then the next project you have to follow up with makes you feel like, oh, I'm not sure if I can do this. <laughs> um, no, but I have a different fear around that same thing. Huh, okay. So I've often thought about, you know, if you look at somebody like Colin Furs, mm. he's, he's one-upping himself constantly. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know how you do that. And so like I've thought about before, you know, like, well, what if, what if we were to take each one of the projects up a level? You know, what if we, what if we make them a little bit crazier? We add something to them. My fear is I'm going to put myself in a situation where I'm Colin Furzing everything, where it needs more flame, where it needs more <laughs> size. And, and I can't do that. I don't know how he does it. You know, he's just, he's good at it. And that's like what he does, but that's not me. And so I've, had to actively fight the impulse to be like, well, if, if I want our content to be seen by more people, we have to add flame. We have to add size. We have to add whatever, because mm. that's a natural comparison game where you just want to like try to do what's going to get the eyeballs. But I know that if I were to start down that train, I would eventually be um, in a position where I was trying to one up myself and I don't think I could do it. I don't think I would want to do that. So I've had to fight that, you know, it's not a desire, but it, that's like a, I guess like an impulse to try to one up myself. Now mm. I'm fighting that and trying to make each one of the pieces of content stand alone so that it doesn't have to be bigger or better than the other ones. And I, and I also think I'm in a fortunate position in that um, from week to week, our projects are so vastly different that it doesn't make any sense for them to one up each other. You yeah, know? yeah. 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 I mean, it's like a bathroom is not comparison. It has no comparison to like a guitar stand or a prop. Like they're just totally different things. Yeah. And so that kind of works in our advantage to where we can kind of pull the rug out from somebody every week and that they don't know what's coming and it doesn't have to be bigger than the week before. It's just, you know, it's down a different road. It's a, it's a totally different thing. So that kind of works out. <laughs> I th I think it's interesting with like the one upping and sort of, you know, getting bigger. Uh, I think often we, we do it because, you know, we want to get some sort of notoriety or we want to build the channel bigger and so on and so forth. Um, and we, I talked about this with my, my wife in the last episode actually. And um, it was very interesting because um, I, I started asking myself, we were talking about, uh, owning your truth. Um, and there's three questions I would ask myself about projects. And one of the first questions I would ask myself is like, why am I actually making this? And so if I look back on a previous project, which, um, finished a couple of months ago, I, I built a voice controlled sofa beer fridge. And it, it spat out beers on voice command out of a, a hidden drawer out the side of the sofa. And, you know, and it was over the top. Now, what I end up looking at when I ask myself that question is I actually shouldn't have built that project. And it, mm. took, me, it took me over a year to build it. Um, and the reason why I was building it was because I was trying to like get some sort of notoriety like it wasn't actually in here for me the project right it was all in here uh and i think like that's my that's where i started to draw the line now it's like i've got to make sure the project is part of my heart you know like i'm i'm all in because of what i love to do it not because i think it's gonna be successful or i think it's what the audience yeah. wants to see yeah right so, that's that's part of the tools I use, um, and I. Do you have anything like that? Do you use any sort of like uh, you know format or like anything like that to sort of uh, put projects through to to make sure it hits the mark? Uh, kind of. I mean, most of the things that we do are either something that we need for the house, and so I'll take that idea and then like extrapolate out to try to make it something a little bit bigger or interesting or whatever, but it, the base of it is a thing that we need or want for our home. Mm. And then the other things are usually 
something that I'm just interested in. I really like Star Wars. That's obvious. Everybody knows that who knows anything about me. And so sometimes a project is just to kind of scratch that itch, like a thing that I like. But I don't think that I have like a real a format that I kind of sift the ideas through mm. because I think uh, for me, like, making anything is interesting. It's, it's the, the idea of like not having something and then there needing to be something in that process to get from one place to another. Like, I don't really care what it is. It, it doesn't matter to me. And obviously there are some things that are more personal and that matter more. They have a, a life within our family life because we use them from now on and stuff. And those always matter more than just, you know, something that's kind of throwaway. Like I, I did a, I had a R2D2 model, a little model kit, and I made a box to put the model in. And it wasn't because I needed to display this model. It wasn't because I needed the model. The model was actually a pretty terrible model, but <laughs> I built this box because it gave me the opportunity to try a bunch of stuff just for the sake of, of making the thing. Cause I got to work with, you know, like a, a foam core interior that I'd never done before and making the outside of it with some weathering techniques I'd never used before. And so really the project itself was just a vehicle to be able to try these new processes that eventually also made their way to a really big Star Wars cabinet thing that's right here next to me that was a huge undertaking. But the small thing was a testing ground for those processes. And then we used those in something that we actually did need for the office. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't have that the same framework that you're talking about, but I think stuff always is ideas are always born out of one of those two things, you know, something that, that I really need around the house or something I'm just, I just care about. I'm interested in. Yeah. Well, I think for the sofa beer fridge, uh, you're talking about starting something small, you know, and, and having a bit of a try of new techniques and things. And then it sort of expands. Yeah. <laughs> I was just, in my head, I was just thinking, you probably should have done that on the sofa beer fridge. Then it wouldn't have taken you two years nearly to, from idea yeah. to finish, you know, like, so. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Um, I want to get back on point with regards to self doubt. Um, what, how's your family influenced the decisions you make and, and any self doubt you may experience through the decisions you make? You've got four kids and you've got a wife and, you know, and on top of that, like you've got your extended work family, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. so how, how do those decisions uh, affect you? Uh, I mean, well, switching over to full time with, I like to make stuff was a big, I mean, my worry was that it wouldn't work and then I would be left with four kids and a wife who relied on me and I wasn't, you know, I had like, given away the, the, uh, security. Mm. And then we would find ourselves with, you know, in a bad spot or whatever. My wife was completely supportive and completely like on the opposite end of my worry. I was talking about worst case scenario earlier. When I thought about that situation, I always considered worst case scenario as the most likely scenario mm. always. And I don't know why I just naturally did that. She thought about, best case scenario uh, of failure, <laughs> like the easiest way to fail, yeah. the simplest failure, she assumed that was it. I'm like, mm. well, if it fails, then you'll get another job. And I'm like, oh, I didn't even think about that. I'm thinking about like, we lose the house and we do, you know, <laughs> I'm like on the total, like far end of this thing, just thinking about what if, what if, what if, and she's like, well, if it doesn't work, then just get another job and try it again or don't try it again or whatever. So, having her with that attitude has always tempered my, um, my worst case scenario when it comes to the family. Yeah. Because that, that's always the thing that ends up being a bigger deal, you know, worrying about being able to provide for them and everything. And so she, she's tempered that really well when it comes to, uh, employees that, you know, these guys are my friends. Uh, they have their lives and families and careers and stuff all wrapped into what we all do together. And so there's a, I don't want to say there's a pressure cause there's not a pressure, but their, their livelihood 
is a consideration for my choices. Right. And um, I don't think that that drives self-doubt in any way. I think if anything, it drives me to be more productive and more aggressive and more, uh, you know, proactive than if I were on my own. Because if I were on my own, I would look at the bottom line every month and be like, ah, yeah, we're fine. Like I can take a day off. I can do this. But I'm looking at, you know, the next year of four families, not just, these aren't individual people. These are families, you know, and I'm looking at that and like, we want to make sure that no matter what, in a year from now, we are at least in the same position that we are right now for their sake. Hmm. So what do I need to do between today and a year from now to make sure that that is the bare minimum we're at. And so it's not self-doubt at all um, because I think I would have crumbled to that a long time ago because yeah. that's a lot of stuff <laughs> yeah. uh, if I was doubting that. But I think it it definitely gives me drive and um, you know helps me be pr- more proactive in what we're taking on. I think you mentioned with your wife, I think that's something that's super key to success is having the support from your your family. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I feel really blessed because my wife supports me in all my decisions that I'm making, even though she doesn't really fully understand it. Um, she's just hundred percent behind me. Uh, and that really helps me when, especially when you're thinking, Oh, what am I doing? Like, you know, yeah, like, yeah. you know, what am I doing here? And then she's like, Oh, it's, you know, you're doing great. Like you're on track. Am I, am I? Yeah, I am. You know, like she puts things in perspective for me. Yep. One thing we haven't really talked about that is interesting is, you know, the pressure of sponsorship, you know, that seems correct me if I'm wrong, but that seems to be quite a big part of your income to, to provide for your family and, and your, your staff. Um, does that at all factor into, uh, the decisions you make and, you know, whether, you know, for example, you have doubt around whether you may be able to provide something for a sponsor or, you know, if you get a new one, that's maybe a bit different from the others you've had before. I don't, I don't think it, that's a concern, like not being able to provide for them because we, we only take on sponsorship opportunities that we know we can, we can nail, you know, things that, because otherwise there's too much risk. If we, if we take on something that, um, we're not sure we can deliver on, then we're putting our integrity and our name at risk with a potential sponsor. And we're putting their investment at risk as well. That's mm-hmm. not something I want to have anything to do with. Yeah. So <clears throat> I think the bigger concern for me with sponsorship stuff is just that it's, well, it's partially self-inflicted. We don't go looking for sponsors. Sponsors come to us the downside of that, the upside of that is that we kind of have the upper hand. We know that they want to work with us. We know that, you know, the negotiation on price and all that stuff is kind of in our court. Right. The downside is that if they don't come to us, then nobody's coming to us. Right. So we have to uh, be really clear on like what the value is, what we're offering to them to make sure that it's worthwhile and which ones we're choosing, you know, that we don't take them all just out of what if they dry up next month? You know, what if nobody, no sponsors come calling for six months, what are we going to do then? Hmm. That can lead you to, to doubt the future of it. And so then you're, well, let's take anything we can get. And like, I I personally don't want to do raid shadow legends, you know, ads, (laughs) But they're there and they got a lot of money and they, they want to, they're just like, you know, they're dangling it out there and like, it would be super easy and no judgment call on people who do raid shadow legends sponsorships, but that's just not something I'm interested in, but it's also kind of hard to turn down an opportunity like that when it's just money that could help in a couple of months if nobody is, is coming calling with sponsorship opportunities. So, Mm. you know, so it's kind of a, I don't know. It's like shifting sands and you're always kind of taking advantage of the opportunities that come knowing that next month there may not be any of those and just kind of, kind of hope for the best. And that's part of why we've tried to build up a bunch of other income sources because there are definitely parts of the year where sponsorship is thin and you know, that's just the way it is. It's part of it. I just want to briefly touch on this because you know, I think is 
I think is super interesting for me is like one thing that I think people keep on forgetting is like your channel is a business and yeah. you you have built brand uh, from day one and your brand has now grown enough that you can have four people employed underneath you and you know there's a whole heap of stuff that goes into that and um the one thing that i think is impressive you know i was talking about this your fusion 360 course um and how much that actually says a lot about your brand uh, and the reason why i say this is because by you creating and showing people how to use fusion 360 in all your videos you become a reputable you know person to to get information from and then when you put the ask out there eventually uh for you know hey do you want to take a course with us people are like yeah i trust you like i'm in i'll, I'll pay yeah. you and that's another source of income for you to help you feed your family and the four other families that rely on you so I think for me, I just want to say that that's a really great way to look at, you know, this whole YouTube stuff is it's like you are a brand, you are right. a company, you're not just this guy that makes things in a garage, you know, you may have started off like that, but you know what I mean? Like, but now this is a, a thing. And I think for me, it seems like those who are successful at this are able to make that transition um yeah pretty pretty smoothly i think so and i think honestly that's been kind of the goal from day one for me hmm. and it doesn't have to be for everybody i don't i don't mean that but i always had the hopes that there would be more than just me and a lot of people always think i say in the intro i'm bob and i like to make stuff since the very first video video it was i'm bob at I like to make stuff. And that's because I <laughs> hoped that eventually I like to make stuff would be a thing that Bob was a part of and other people were a part of. And we did, you know, yeah. And if it didn't, then whatever, it just sounds like I'm trying to be bigger than I am. No big deal. But, <laughs> um, but that was always the intention because I, I want something, I wanted something that um, could be useful past me. I'm going to get more gray hair than I have now. I'm going to get less interesting and older and less hip and, you know, all of these le things. And I want something that can outlast my coolness. <laughs> Maybe it already has. I don't know. <laughs> but um, so I think that's been a goal of ours from the beginning is just to, to try to set up the company as, as what I wanted it to be. I'm definitely a part of it and I'm going to be as part of it as long as I possibly can. Mm. But if it's all hinged on me, if every part of it is hinged on me, then that's a pretty flimsy business model in my opinion. So. Yeah. Well, there's a, yeah. Again, going back to like the hierarchical structure of like sports teams and businesses, there's a reason why you hire right. in different people to do different jobs because you can't be always so good at everything. So, yeah. um, that makes perfect sense. Um, I think we're going to wrap it up there. Let's go into the rapid fire five. Okay. You ready? Sure. These How are... rapid do I have to respond? <laughs> I, 23 milliseconds. Right? Oh, wow. Okay. No, right. no. You, can, you can take as long as you want. <laughs> gotcha. All right. Here's uh, first question. Fill in the blank. Creativity is? Overrated. <laughs> <laughs> please explain that now i'm i'm intrigued why, um why is it overrated there's nothing wrong with creativity but i think people oftentimes will not do something because they don't think like they're creative they don't think they have this new idea that nobody's ever seen before and they just don't and i think a lot of times you get to the creative solution just by doing something that you've done a million times or with what you have on hand and you know i think I think it's it's overrated a little. It's not, it's important, but I think it's overrated in that it's some special skill that only certain people have. Well, that reminds me a little bit of the book called Still Like an Artist. So like he talks about basically you you don't need a new idea. You just steal other people's ideas and just copy them. Yeah. And you, right. and then, like if you're a true artist, you started 
you started by copying other people's work and, and then you gain the skills and you you evolve and then you start trying new things mixing two ideas together three ideas together four ideas together and, and yeah. start pulling from different environments too so yeah i like that um question number two what's something people get wrong about you uh, I think a lot of people think that I think I'm really good at stuff. <laughs> I think people assume that because you make, you publish a piece of content that you are doing it out of some authority. Yeah. But the uh, self-publishing of all types now shows, it proves that you don't have to have any authority at all to be able to publish something, which is right. good and bad. But um, I think people still have this assumption that if something is well produced, then there's authority behind it. Like as if I know what I'm doing, I don't know what I'm doing most of the time. Yeah. You know, make it up. And I, I don't claim to, I think it's just a, an assumption on the part of other people. Yeah. I was actually talking with um, a guy called Red Smith and oh, yeah, I know Red. Uh, yeah. And I was talking, he was like, he's talking about superpowers in the maker community. And I, <laughs> He was talking about because yeah, he's he uses a lot of leather work and stuff and and I was saying that my superpower is retardedness, and so you know because I'm always screwing stuff up and like <laughs> I, I think that's part of it as well. Like I think honestly, like we if we don't own who we are, uh, like that's my way of saying I'm not a I'm not a like a professional at this, you know, Yeah, I right. show all my ridiculousness and my complete screw ups. Like the other day I, I wanted to shoot a scene where I, on my video where I like, um, I licked the hot glue gun and I said something stupid, like hotsy, whatsy glue or something like this. Uh, and, but I didn't check. I didn't freaking test the end of the, the nozzle. I had it unplugged for ages. It was like it, it, I had been using it and then I unplugged it and I thought, oh, this will be funny. I'll just wait till it's cool and then I'll film this stupid bit because I just thought it was funny at the time. And I licked it. I burnt my tongue. You know, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and that's probably going to be in the video. Let's be quite honest. So, <laughs> yeah, my superpower retardedness. I have no, no authority at all to say I'm a professional at anything I do. <laughs> I, I mean, showing mistakes and, you know, mess ups and stuff, it, it goes really far with people. Mm. I don't mean to fake that, you know, to, to like show that you're a, a real regular person. I don't mean that, but like people identify with mistakes. It's just a fact. And so we, we get a lot of comments where people are like, I'm so glad that you leave in your failures or your mistakes and how you fix them, because that shows that we shouldn't give up when there is a mistake in real life, you know? Yeah. So that's important. Uh, let's get on to question number three. What's your favorite thing to do when you're not being creative and making stuff? Mm. Um, it is so hard for me to separate my job from the rest of my life at hmm. this point. I'm not really sure. I'm not sure how to, how to differentiate those times. I mean, I hang out with my family. But even then, like we're doing something, you know, and it's it's often creative or I don't know. That's about, weird. I, w I would say like, well, music, but that's creative. <laughs> that's so true, actually. <laughs> uh, what, what about running? That's not so creative. Yeah, but you said, what's your favorite thing to do? <laughs> I run a lot. <laughs> yeah. I don't really like to run. No, I, I do run a lot. Um it's not not because I enjoy it necessarily. It's more because I'm going to die one of these days. And so I'm just trying to push that down the road as, <laughs> as far as possible. Completely agree uh, with you there. Yeah. yeah. So, but I mean, it actually has become a thing that if I don't run, then I, like I haven't run yet today and I'm kind of chomping at the bit mm. to put in headphones and leave the house and just go run. Not because I really like the running, but because it's just part of my habit now. So. Yeah, well, it's always a little bit interesting for me because, like, I struggle because I I do my running at five o'clock in the morning, uh, and so, <laughs> oh and it's like it's hard to get myself out of bed, but then when I get out there and I like the second I take two steps in in a running pace, I'm good. Yeah, 
Like I'm really hmm. good. So uh, I, I love that. Like, and here in Norway, five o'clock in the morning, like dead silent. Like the stars were out today. It was gorgeous. Big, wow. big moon and everything. It was absolutely gorgeous. What's so, your, this is off topic, but what's yeah. your cutoff temperature wise that you won't run outside? Because it's got to be crazy cold there, right? Uh, uh, actually, yeah, I'm going to share something with you. I've never told anyone this, but I, I run just in a pair of shorts, not not even a shirt, and I'm now attempting to do it all the way through winter. <laughs> because I have okay. this, I have, I have this, I have this mindset. Like if I can tell myself it's not cold and push through those barriers, wow. uh, then like imagine what I can achieve if I. Like I can do that. Like if I can push myself through a physical cold barrier, yeah. Uh, then imagine what I can do in my workshop or you know other wow. sides of my life. So it's a, I'm a, I'm on a big sort of mental um, awakening, I guess you'd say, like on a journey to push myself to be the best person I can be, and that's that's one of my little tests that I'm doing at the moment. Plus, wow, I, awesome. I I ice bath every Sunday. So that's too used to that full body. Yeah. 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 Yeah, My, my wedding tackle doesn't like it, but you know, um, (laughs) but uh, you know, I'm getting used to it. So anyway, Uh, let's get on with the, let's not talk about my wedding tackle. Let's get on with the next question. (laughs) Uh, uh, Number four is what project is completely priceless for you that you would never sell? Um, Hmm. I wouldn't really ever sell anything that I make, not because I think it's priceless or unpriceable, but I don't know that it's valuable enough to sell. That sounds kind of self-deprecating and I don't mean it that way, but like I don't think of the stuff that I make as being valuable. I I don't know. Like it's just kind of That's a common thing. That's a common thing with makers. Like they don't feel connected to what they make. They love the process. But they don't love the necessarily the end result. They're not right. really nostalgic about it. Like the only thing I've mentioned this before on my other podcast, like only thing that I have is uh, my daughter's soapbox car, which is I built like a 1920s style speedster. And, it, you know, it was my first real project maker project. So that's the only thing I would never sell. And otherwise, I just throw everything. I don't care. Yeah, I'm kind of the same way. I mean, I, I'm i proud of a lot of the things that I've made, but like I I have the mentality in life that like all of the stuff around me other than the people could burn and I'd be okay. I mean, it'd be a bummer and I wouldn't enjoy it, but it's not a big deal. It's just stuff. So even though like the R2-D2 is right here behind me, he's very expensive and I put a lot of work into that. Yeah. But like I was alive for a really long time without that. And so if that goes away, I'm still going to be alive. It's, it's fine. You know, actually, I love that mentality. It's good. I love it. Yeah. What's uh, the last question is what does happiness look like? Hmm. <clears throat> well, that's tough. I think that's different <laughs> for everybody. Obviously. Yeah, obviously. I think for me, um, I'm a pretty firm believer that we're made for something. We're each made for a a purpose or purposes. And I think for me, that means happiness is fulfilling that purpose. So I think I find the most joy and the most fulfillment, and I guess you would call those things together as happiness, in feeling like I'm doing the thing that I'm made to do. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I feel kind of the same way. It's like when I, when I feel aligned with, you know, my, my purpose, my drive, I just, you know, like it, my body just oozes this like enthusiasm for what I'm doing. And, and yeah, just, you feel like a sense of like euphoria. Yeah. yeah. So I love it. Um, I hope you guys got something from this. I mean, I think I feel like self-doubt is something we all deal with, Um, you know, whether it's caused by experience, like experience and past mistakes, uh, comparing, you know, feeling out of our like comfort zone 
or the fear of failure or successes. And then, of course, having the outside influences of family and and maybe even audience. Um, and for example, Bob, uh, some sponsors. Um, we all experience that. I hope you guys got something from this episode uh, with regarding to dealing with your self-doubt. Uh, I want to thank Bob for coming on the show. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Um, and I want to thank you all for listening. I hope you got something from this episode. Um, I'm sure you're all following Bob, uh, so there's no need for me to put the links in the show notes, but I will anyway. Um, if you want to be one of the cool kids and join the GA Nation, you can head over to Patreon. Otherwise, you can support me just as much and all its amazing guests uh, on this podcast. Now, we are at episode 50 today, so that's pretty amazing. And uh, you can listen to all 49 previous episodes and support them just as much by creating a I'm Bob and I was on the Make Ideas Reality t-shirt and wear it on your next video. Hint, hint, wink, wink. Uh, or you could just simply, like I say, every single week, repost and share this podcast. If you found value, it found it valuable. If you know a friend that would like the podcast, tell them about it. Um, and I'd love your feedback, guys. Please send your DMs to at Garage Avenger on Instagram. Until next time, keep pushing yourself, keep ballsing up things, keep learning, get inspired, and I'll catch you on the flip side. All right, we're out. Boom. Done. Thanks, Bob. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Oh, that was good.